Amen. Well, Miss Brenda, thank you. I would have to say that my best voice over there didn't sound anything, didn't sound nearly as good as her voice. Yeah. We thank God for being here with us this morning. I want to I want to start by asking you a question, and I want you to think about it, so don't answer it out loud. Uh, ponder upon it. Uh, when was the first time that you realized that life was not fair? I have some chuckles. Were they chuckles because it was whenever somebody told you that there was no Santa Claus? Okay, there's, okay. What? <laughs> when, when was that moment that you actually realized that life really wasn't fair? I want to take you back to a tragic day, December the 14th. It was a Friday in 2012. It's whenever this little town of Newtown, Connecticut, rocked the world. I want, you to t- I want to take you through the morning of a young gentleman at the age of about seven, whenever this took place. His name's Daniel. So Daniel wakes up early in the morning, and he looks out at the sunrise, and he notices the redness of the, and the orange combined of the sky and how the houses in the neighborhood, the rooftops were lined with Christmas lights. And he turns to his dad and he says, man, that's beautiful, isn't it? And his dad remembers taking a picture. That morning, just like any other morning, was full of tender moments for this family and this seven-year-old. Uh, you know, they remember that at one point he ran down the driveway in his pajamas and his flip-flops to give his brother a hug as he went off to school. And he made sure that he gave his sister a nice kiss on the cheek as she left. He comes running down the steps or the stairwell of the house with toothbrush in mouth to give mom his good morning hug, and wish her a good day at work. Afterwards, him and his dad sat down, and they actually played jingle bells on the piano before they left to go to school. This young man, or young child, was one of the 20 students killed at Sandy Hook Elementary. December 14th, 2012, he would be 14 years of age this year, a life cut short, a family that suffers senselessly. Now, this wasn't the first massacre that, you know, that occurred in the United States, but this was the first one 
to innocent backpacking, what, what Max Licato would consider backpacking, snack-eating little kids. They weren't gang members. They weren't adults. They were innocent children. On that day, I imagine there was a lot of people that prayed the prayer that we find in Psalms that says, Oh Lord, how long will you look on? And then Jeremiah, he questions, he says, Why does the wicked always prosper? We think about that. Uh, you know, life is not fair. Uh, you know, there's drug peddlers that get rich. Uh, you know, there's sex offenders that get off. There's imposters that get elected. Murderers get out of prison. Cheaters, well, they get away with it. Uh, you know, hypocrites get chosen. It's just not fair. How long are these things or how long is the bad in this world going to be able to prosper? Our promise today, it's the only solemn promise that we have. And I say solemn because it's the answer to those questions. It's the answer to that question as far as, uh, you know, how long will the wicked prosper? Because Jesus promises to us, or it's promised to us by God in Acts chapter 17, verse 31. It says, for he, and I put in there in parentheses, God has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and proved to everyone who this is by the raising him from the dead. We know this is Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that raised it, you know, that was raised from the dead. But I want you to grab this and to understand that every flip of the calendar, every day, every minute, every second, every hour that we live, we are getting closer to the moment in time that God will say enough is enough and judgment will be brought upon this world. But we have to understand it will be brought upon this world. Not just the wicked. It'll be brought upon the world. We find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For we must all stand before Christ and be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. We all want justice, but we don't necessarily want judgment. We hesitate in casting judgment, don't we? 
we want justice. We want the person that did wrong to pay for that wrongness. But we don't want to be the one that does it, right? Or that says it. How many of you have done things to skirt by and not be on a juror? How many of you have done it? How many of you have gone into the court and had some type of an excuse that I can't sit on the court, I have a hurt knee? Come on, I, you know. We should, we, we, we all need to uphold and to take care of our civic duties, right? Not very many things in our judicial system really goes the proper way, but I want you to kind of see this, okay, because I, I don't know if you understood this, but I had to do some research. I did research on, on this, and, and if you are convicted of multiple accounts and you are being tried for multiple accounts at the same time, you have to be, or there has to be a verdict written or rendered for each one of those, or for each one of those convictions, whether it be guilty or not guilty. It has to be rendered to each one of them. Revelations chapter twenty, beginning with verse eleven. It says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So we look at this and we see this. I want us to understand and grab this, that whenever we see this judgment day, and this happens to be that final judgment day. So this is the judgment day after the millennial. Uh, you know, and this is the time that Satan and all of his demons will be chained up and they will be cast into the lake of fire. So this is that one and final judgment. And I say one and final because depending on who you are and depending on what theology you look at, is there multiple judgment days or is there just simply one judgment day? Now, I don't want to debate you. I, I don't want to do that, regardless of whether it's a bunch of them, whether it's three, uh, you know, whether it's two, or whether it's one. What it states is, is that we all will be judged. The all means every person that has ever lived or will ever live on this earth will all be judged. Now, how will they be judged? They will be judged by God, but they will be judged by God through Jesus Christ. So you got it? You see where we are? You understand? Good. Because there's three things that we find out whenever we're dealing with this. And the first thing that we deal with here is that we will publicly be pardoned you know, from our sins. 
all of his people will, will be pardoned. Now, I notice I said all of his people, that is all the ones that believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, all of those will be pardoned. Now, I want you to picture this. We've got this great white throne, uh, you know, that has came down and the sky and the earth has tried its best to run away from it, but it's too great and it's too mighty and it couldn't find any place to hide. So if you think you're going to hide somewhere, not going to happen. We're going to face it, okay? Uh, You know, but whenever we look at this as God's children, uh, you know, there will be pardon for us. We will be pardoned. So whenever we're there, we won't have this sense that, oh my goodness, here we go. All of this junk is going to be brought before everybody. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, how many of you want your secrets to be known? They're secrets for a reason, right? But it has to happen. We all have to receive the verdict for everything that we have done. Second Corinthians chapter, or chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We, the whole world, all, got it? We have to be there. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. So those secrets that we have, they will be judged, but they will be judged through Jesus Christ because we believe in him as our Lord and Savior. He will be our advocate that will be right next to us, right there at our side, and he will be intervening for us on all of these accounts. So whenever we're standing before God on this judgment day, we're going to stand there and we're going to realize the allness of what, of what is going on. It's not that we're going to be worried about this. It's not that I'm going to be standing there saying, oh my goodness, I didn't want my congregation to know that I didn't want to have a certain conversation with a certain person after a particular message. Oh, I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to say that out loud. I don't want people to know my thoughts. Uh, You know, there are some good thoughts, but there's some bad thoughts. And the scripture tells us that there's multiple books, and within those books, now, I want you to go back, to think back in your mind. Because it said that there's books, but then it also references the book of life by itself. So there's a book that records all of the names from the beginning of time that has received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believed in Him. There's that book. But then there's a book that records all of our wrongdoings and all of our good doings. 
So whenever we look at this and we see this, uh, you know, we understand that we have to go through this. Now, why do we have to go through this? Well, it's just like the gentleman that had 66 counts of, of federal, uh, you know, um, uh, you know there was, it, I don't know what it was, but he had 66 different counts and they were federal offenses. Okay, so he is standing there and the trial took three weeks. And at the end of the three weeks, he stands to hear the verdict. He stood for 20 minutes and heard not guilty 66 times. Every person in the courtroom had to know that he was not guilty. The judge, the bailiff, you know, the jurors, all the people that was there to support the man. If there would happen to be a mechanic that would be in the courtroom at that time, he had to know that he was found not guilty on all 66 accounts. So whenever we're standing before that judgment throne, everyone around us has to know that we have been covered and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and that we are innocent, found innocent from all of the accounts. Now, why is that? Because after that judgment day and after that long day, because there's a lot of people and there's a lot of things that we've done bad and there's a lot of things that we've done good. It's going to take an awful long time to get through this, right? Well, there might, be not, there might not be time in heaven, but still, it's going to take a long time. But whenever we finally get into heaven, we will know without a doubt that we belong there. We will know without a doubt that every other person that is in there, that they deserve to be in there. There's no way to escape through. There's, there's no way that they're going to be able to get into the gates unless they pass through the judgment. And if, there is not, if they are not found innocent and they are found guilty, they will not be in heaven. They will be in the lake of fire. So there's going to be that judgment day, but on that judgment day, we're going to be standing there, we're going to be like, oh my goodness. Look at all of this that Jesus Christ has forgiven me for. Look at his love and his mercy that he poured out on me whenever, whenever I did all of these things. It'll be more of an opportunity of awe and saying, wow, than it is about worry and about regret. Because after all, we can't make it into heaven unless we stand before the judgment throne. We've got to be there. But then this promise also gives us this uh, that's really, uh, you know, great. And, uh, you know, he will applaud the services of his servants. 
Now, we're not looking forward to the judgment, but we're going to stand there in awe of what God has done and what Jesus has provided for us through his blood and through his sacrifice on the cross. And see, and that brings me to what Paul said. You remember Paul was you know, talking with one of the churches and they were talking about God's grace and his mercy. And they said, you know, should we continue on sinning because, you know, so that he would pour out more grace and mercy upon us? And Paul's like, no, the opposite should be. So yes, we're going to be standing in front of this judgment. And yes, Jesus Christ is going to be standing beside us. And he's going to look at it and he's going to say, you know, whenever uh, you know, the, the screen comes up or however it's done. I don't think we're going to be in a movie theater. But however it's going to be done, uh, you know, says that, uh, you know, John lied to his parents. Uh, you know, Jesus is going to say, I know that. And I have forgiven him for that. That doesn't mean that we continue on sinning. That means that we need to grow within the grace and knowledge of what God has given to us so that we no longer sin. As we understand what God has for us and what He is and what He does for us, therefore we don't, we, we don't desire to sin anymore. We obey Him because we love Him. That takes me to this fact, and I have to bring this up. If, if you were saved and baptized because you were scared of going to hell, I think we need to rethink this process because that's not what salvation's for. Uh, you know, we are saved. Yes, we're saved from, the, you know, from hell and from burning there eternity so that we can live with Jesus Christ forever, but we're saved by his love and we're saved to have a relationship with him. It should not be out of fear that we come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It should be out of love for what He has done for us and what He provides for us. So let's get back on this applaud. I, you know, I read, it, and man, this is... <laughs> I'm going to try my best to get through this story for you. There was a gentleman by the name of Dan that, uh, you know, really got into running and he was really in good shape. So he even went a step further and he began to go into Ironman competitions. Okay, so y'all know what an Ironman competition is, right? In Ironman, you have a bunch of biking, you've got a bunch of running, and you also have to swim. So it's all three of them that's combined. Uh, you know, so he decided that he was going to enter into this race, uh, you know, this Ironman triathlon that happens at, at Lake Placid, New York. Uh, you know, so he, he joins this, and I don't know if you realize this, but that race starts at 8.30 in the morning. 8.30 in the morning. Now, it's highly supported by the town citizens, uh, you know, which runs to be about 2,500 people, uh, you know, but it ends at a high school uh, you know, track. So the last mile that they run is inside the stadium at the high school. Somewhere around 1130, 
the community starts to show up to this high school so that they can see the winner of this race. And whenever they see the winner coming in of this race, they shout and scream and they holler and they cheer the runner on. But then at last, on into the night, Dan started running at 8.30 in the morning. At 10 o'clock, he's still running. And he tells the story and he says, I looked up and I saw the stadium lights. I was still about a mile away. And he said, I heard the roar from the crowd. And he said, whenever I heard that, my pace and my heart quickened. And he said, 35, 40 minutes later, I finally got to the parking lot of this stadium. And he said, I'm running and I I come to the entrance and I take this deep breath and I enter in through the tunnel and I hear the public announcer saying, this is Dan Smith from San Antonio, Texas. And all of a sudden, the whole stadium erupted in applause. People shouted his name. As he rounded that track. This is that day for us. See we find these words. In Hebrews chapter 10. God is not unjust. He will not forget your works. And the love you have shown him. And as you have helped his people and continued and continue to help them now. In Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 12, verse 1, we find these words. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight. That slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily traps us. And let us run run with endurance the race God has before us. This great cloud of witnesses. The ones that go on before. Can you imagine? Can you see this? Do you understand this? Noah is going to be up there clapping and praising his hands when we enter in to the gates of heaven. Abraham will be there. Isaac, Jacob, all of them will be shouting your name. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. Because of what he has done in us and what he has done through us. The great cloud of witnesses, and we talked about this a little bit Wednesday night, talking about how we need to be encouragers of one another. We are supposed to be that crowd as people are walking and living on this earth today. I have troubles with this because on May 1st, my dad entered into the heavenly gates. 
He is part of that great cloud of witnesses. The things that he has taught me live on in my life. My love for God is because of his love for God. See, he is cheering us on. He is cheering me on. You have people in your life that have gone on before you. They are cheering you on. Continue the race. Get rid of all the weight and all the sin that would ever hinder you. Get rid of it because the race, because it is worth every moment of it. But on this judgment day, the day that we will be before God, not only will we see the things that we did wrong and receive the forgiveness of that, but we will receive the applause for all the good and all the love and all the mercy that we have shown for God here on this earth. But all the good has to go. This promise is not always, it's, it's, see it has the terrible part in there. As great as God's love is and as merciful as his love is, he will never ever force it upon anyone. So whenever I make this statement, I want you to understand, uh, you know, that God gives every opportunity for every person that lives on this earth to have received his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. Every one of them. We look back at Genesis. Whenever we have Adam and Eve that was here on this earth, they sinned. And what happened? God provided for them a covering. He provided for them a forgiveness. Now, Adam and Eve had the opportunity to refuse that gift, and that covering. But since they have received it and accepted that gift and their covering and their faith in God Almighty, they repented and they will be in heaven. God will not force anything on us. So that's why I make this statement when it says, He will honor the wishes of the wicked. Now, honoring the wishes of the wicked just simply lets us know and gives us the understanding that the all is, yes, all of the believers, but it's all as in all people, even the ones that don't believe, they will stand before God Almighty in judgment the same way. But the only thing is, is that Jesus Christ will not be standing by them, therefore they will not receive not guilty as a verdict. What will happen is, is that every time something is mentioned in their lives, you know, when you hear these words that says, you have denied my presence, there will be silence. You have abused my children, there will be silence. You have slandered my name, silence. You have ignored my word, silence. You have rejected my son. Silence. Guilty on all accounts. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. 
And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Judgment Day. There will come a time that we will all be judged. The key passage of Scripture for us today is that of Acts chapter 17. In verse 31, before you get to verse 31, of course, you have 30, you have 30 other verses. And in those 30 other verses, you find the things that talks about the fact that, uh, you, know, that, uh, you know, that Paul was, uh, you know, at this church and he spoke at this church and people were moved and people were saved. Uh, you know, people got upset at him. So they got him, you know, so he left. He had to flee to another city and he fleed to another city. And he comes to this particular city right here in verse 31. And this is the city where he finds and he says, uh, you know, there are, I, I can tell that you are religious people because you have shrines all over the city. But there's this one altar that is listed to the unknown God. He says, I know the unknown God. The unknown God is God Almighty, the one that created the heavens and the earth and created all things. And he also sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for us. But Paul doesn't tell him all of that. Paul talks about him being the one that was resurrected from the dead. Paul is telling them who the God or who the unknown God is. But in here he says, in verse 30, he says, You have been ignorant from a while, and God has allowed that to happen, but there will be a time and a day set for judgment. This set gives us this understanding that God has already determined the day, the hour, the minute, the second that this judgment day will happen. And all of the promises that we have talked about or all of these promises that was given to us by a God that cannot lie. So whenever he says there will be a day of judgment, go ahead and put it down in your book. Because it's going to happen. Now the thing is, is, is it going to happen where Jesus Christ is our advocate and he is standing right next to us? Or is it going to happen and we're going to hear those words, flee from me because I, I don't know you. I don't know you. Can I give you an understanding that... Yeah, Whenever we think about that, what was their comment? But God, I've done this for you, and I've done this for you, and I've done this for you. He says, I don't know you. There are people in churches today that on that judgment day that we're talking about, that we're promised here, on that judgment day, there are people sitting in churches today that will hear those words. 
I never knew you. We have to come to a part in a point in our lives that we trust and we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. We have to ask for forgiveness and receive Him into our lives as Lord and Savior. And then we're to live a life representing Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. If you haven't done that, God's not going to force it upon you. He gives you the choice. Receive Him or don't. Acknowledge who He is. Or don't. The judgment day is still going to be there. Your decision today determines where you'll be. Where will you be after that day of judgment? Let us stand. As the praise and worship team comes up, the altar is open for you this morning. This is one of those messages that hopefully you understand there's, there's no beating around the bush. There is a judgment day that's coming. You have to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to receive that verdict, not guilty. And then to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. If not, you'll be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented with Satan and his demons for eternity. It's your opportunity. It's your choice. With every head bowed and every eye closed, what's your decision today? What is your choice? times I've failed still your mercy remains and should I stumble again still I'm caught in your grace everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all fame Your life.
Father, we thank you so much for today, and we thank you for the words that you have given to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us today. I pray, dear Lord, that this message, dear Lord, will not end here, but God will continue to go with us in our hearts and our lives and continue to direct our path. In Jesus' name, amen.